So this week's parsha is parsha Shlach. And at the end of parsha Shlach, we have the parsha of Tzitzis, which we say every day at the end of Kriyashma. And the parsha of Tzitzis says in the middle of those, of those psukim, Do not follow after your heart and after your eyes, which are leading you astray. That Lashon of Loisasuru is a strange Lashon. And Rashi says that it has a, uh, it has a sister, it has a, a similar um, usage elsewhere, and that is Kamai Mitur Haaretz, from scouting out the land. Scouting out the land is what Loisasuru means. The eyes and the heart are scouts. They're looking for things that they're interested in. They're on the prowl for seductive types of visions, of fantasies, of thoughts, of of visions, of sights. And Haleva Enayim, says Rashi, they are spies of the body. And they are leading and seducing the body to sin. Why do we sin? Because our heart is chaymed and our, our eyes are, are watching certain things, looking at things, and we're seduced. We're convinced that this is a good idea for our bodies to, to actually act upon. Ha'ayin raya, says Rashi, the eye sees, v'halev chaymed. The eye sees something, what happens? The heart wants it. And then the body does the Averis. So what's happening, the mechanics, Rashi is explaining, the mechanics of how an Avera is performed. How do I do an Avera? If I see something that I'm not supposed to see, if I look at something that I'm not supposed to look at, how does that happen? What's the, what's the mechanics? What's the... Uh, what, what's the uh, the, the, the system by which that happens. So the eye sees, I see something, it looks very, very interesting, the heart wants it, and both together, the eyes and the heart together, are a very dangerous tag team of spies, and it tells the body, this is a good thing to do, you want this, this is geschmack, you want to eat that thing that you see even though it's not kosher, you want to act upon this, this thing that you're watching, even though it's a terrible Avera. You want to be able to uh, go to a certain place, even though you know it's the wrong place. But the eyes and the heart, by seeing bad stuff and by thinking about stuff, that will come back to the body and report that it's worth it, it's a good idea to do this, then the body will act in kind. The The body will follow the advice of the spies. So the Argadal Yahur of Gedal Yashar points out something that we probably are all thinking, that isn't it interesting how this parsha of Miraglim appears in Parsha Shlach, which is the Miraglim. Mitur Haaretz is a reference to the Miraglim. They were the ones that scouted out Eretz Yisrael, and they reported terrible things back. And that's exactly what our eyes and our heart are. That's why, says the Argadal they're in the same parsha because it's the same exact lesson. 
Obviously, it's personalized instead of nationalized like the Miraglim were. The, the Miraglim did terrible damage to our, to our nation, and that damage continues to pervade us. Every Tisha B'Av we have the mourning over all the terrible things that happened on that very day that we cried over the report that our spies gave us in this parasha. But really, the Miraglim is not some historical event. The Miraglim, we live with the Miraglim. In our own lives, every single day, when we look in the mirror and you see those eyes, those eyes are our Miraglim. They are spies, they're going out, and they're looking at things that they're not supposed to be looking at. And then they send back a terrible report, a wrong report, to the, to the heart and to the body, saying this is a good thing or this is a bad thing, and, and our body reacts to that. And so this is the site of the Argadalyo that the spies are really our eyes. Our eyes and the spies are really, they don't just rhyme, they are really the same thing. And this is something that's very important for us uh, to realize, that the eyes and our heart, although they're wonderful if they're used correctly, if we use our eyes to learn and to see the good in others and to daven and to, uh, and to, uh, and to do mitzvahs, our eyes are amazing. And so is our heart. If our heart is filled with compassion and our heart is full of, uh, of love for, for our parents and for Hashem, for the Taira, then, then that's an amazing thing. But be careful, because the eyes and the heart could also be very powerful uh, in working against us. We think they're our friends, just like, like we thought the Miraglim were, were, were fair brokers uh, in, in going and, and searching Eretz Yisrael, but in fact they weren't, they were terrible for us. And sometimes the eyes and the heart are, are our enemies, because they sometimes could really lead a person astray. The Lushan of Chazal that Rashi quoted, which is Ha'ayin Rayev Alev Chaimed, the eye sees and the heart desires. A little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a difficult order there, because that's not the order that the Pasuk gives. The Pasuk says, Don't follow your heart and your eyes, which seems to imply that. First, there is the heart, and then it leads to the eyes. But Rashi says that first there is the ayin raya, the eye sees, and then the lay follows, and the lay is chaymed. So which one is it? So I once asked this to my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Aaron Shechter, and he said that really both are true. Both are true. The order of events is as follows. The eye doesn't magically see things that it's not supposed to. That's not really what happens. What happens is that first the heart decides that it wants to see something that it's, uh, that it's not supposed to see. We're in a funny mood and we're like, uh, we're not feeling so good about ourselves. We're like, let's, let's watch a movie. I'm not talking about a regular movie. I'm talking about a movie that's inappropriate for us to see. It starts with the heart. The eyes don't like have an automatic flip of the uh, of the movie projector of the uh, of the smartphone or of the of the monitor. The eyes are following what the heart tells it. The heart says, "Let's watch a movie." 
The heart says, let's go online and, and, and see things that we're not supposed to see. The eye says, okay, that sounds like a, like a decent idea. So the heart really leads the eyes. And then there's another wave, like, you know, similar to Corona. There's a first wave, and then sometimes it's followed by a second wave. That's what, that's what happens every time we do an Avera. We have a first wave, that's the heart. The heart's, It starts with the heart. The heart desires something. The heart wants to see something. Let's watch it. What's the big deal? It's fine. It's good. We need an escape. It's important that we, that we chill a little bit. Whatever it is that we're saying to ourselves, it starts with the heart. So the Torah is saying, don't follow the heart. Stop the heart in its tracks. But it's too late. The heart already sent a signal to the eyes. Watch it. It's good. It's geschmack. Now what happens is the eyes are watching it and the eyes are, whoa, this is really good. I like this stuff. And then it sends a signal to the heart and says, we should really do this. This, is, this isn't, it shouldn't just be on the screen. It should actually be actualized. It's geschmack. This is something that I really want. And then what happens is that the heart and the eyes together, they are shnei edim, and they come to the body and they say, we have a, a good report to tell you. We're bringing back a report, like the Miraglim. The report is, Taibar, it's might, might. It's, a, it's a very geshmaka thing that we saw, and let's do it. Let's actually do it. And at that point, we're, we, we're convinced that the heart and the eyes know what they're talking about, and the body follows, even though maybe a part of our conscience thinks that it's a bad idea, we're really going to regret this in the morning, but by then it's too late. The heart and the eyes together have convinced us that this is a good idea, and it's done. And so the Torah says, Rashi says, you know why? Because the ayin is going to see, and then the lave is again going to be chaymed. There's going to be another wave of, of wanting. It's not going to just be a heartfelt desire to see something, but it's going to be the heart is going to change and morph into something that's going to activate our bodies to do something. And that's a very, very dangerous stage. And once that happens, it's very, very hard for us to turn back. So the Torah is telling us, stop it before it starts. Don't allow it even to get to the heart. Because once it gets to the heart, it's going to get to the eyes. Once it gets to the eyes, it's going to get back to the heart. And then you're finished, because the spies are going to return to the goof and say, this is a good thing. Based on this yisait of Ravaren Shechter, I wanted to just add, that's really exactly the way it happened with the, with the Miraglim at the first part of the parsha, Because, look, Rav Gedalyashar is making this equation between the first part of the parsha and the last part of the parsha, The Miraglim and the eyes that are Miragel and the heart. And so if we're saying that it's uh, symmetrical, these two experiences of the Miraglim nationally and the, and the Miraglim internally, so then it, sh- it would follow... It would stand to reason that that um, that that would be exactly the the way that it played out in the Miraglim, and I think it did. What do I mean? The Miraglim did not just go into Eretz Yisrael being with an open mind. 
saying whatever we see, that's what we're going to report back. They already had an agenda before they went into Eretz Yisrael. Before their Miragel, they already had a heart that was pumping to do something wrong. The eyes were just following what the heart wanted. And ultimately, then their eyes convinced them that this is really the reality, and then they came back and reported. Exactly like we're saying happens in the human body, that's what happened in Eretz Yisrael. How do I know this? There are Chazalim that say that in, if you look in Megillus Esther, in Megillus Echa, Megillus Echa is written, the Psukim start with the Aleph Bez. Echa Yashva Badad. Bachai Sivke Balayla. Etc., etc. Every single Pasuk starts with a Aleph and then a Bez and then a Gimel all the way through the Aleph Bez. And, and the Prakim go through this. Some Prakim have more than one Aleph. There's maybe three Psukim back to back that start with an Aleph and then multiple Psukim that start with a Bez. But Echa goes in an Aleph-based structure. With one exception. Normally, as we read the Aleph-based, there's the Ayin, and then Pei. Ayin, Pei. But, in the order of the Psukim of Echa, it flips it. There's a Pasuk that starts with a Pei, and then it goes to a Pasuk that starts with an Ayin. Why is it flipped? So the Medrash says, you know why? Because the Meraglim were hikdimu pe la'ayin. The letter pe is phonetically related to pe, mouth, and the letter ayin, of course, is the eye. What the Meraglim did was they were makdim their pe to their ayin, which means that they already had the narrative written out before they went into Eretz Yisrael. They weren't honest brokers. They weren't going into Eretz Yisrael agenda-free, just we're going to see what's going on in Eretz Yisrael and report back like a good agent, like a good scout would. They already knew what their storyline would be before they went into Eretz Yisrael. They were mocked in their peh to the ayin. They already had their script written out, their peh, before they saw anything. No matter what they would have seen, they would have already come out with the same conclusion. Their script was fully written. Their, their mouth had already uttered the words before their eyes even saw a thing of Eretz Yisrael. Why did they do that? They had, a, they had their own personal skin in the game. They wanted to maintain their power, according to some. They didn't want to uh, lose their power if they would go into Eretz Yisrael. They were afraid that it would be a new world order and whatever took place in the Midbar would not be continuing as, uh, as normal in... in um, once they, uh, once they come into Eretz Yisrael, whatever their, whatever their reasoning was, but they were matim their pet to the ayin. And then they, once they saw things, they saw things in a very convoluted way because they already knew what they wanted to see before they saw it. And that's why they came back and reported what they saw. And they did, they, they did see certain things but they saw them in a way that was very, very biased and very warped. The stipler in the Birkhaz Peretz already explains how whatever they saw, which they actually did see, like they saw a lot of funerals, and they said, it's Eretz Eichelos Yeshveh, it's a, it's a land which eats up its inhabitants. That's how they reported it. But the, um, but the truth was, they saw things in a warped way.
And that's how they made a, a very, very tragic mistake by being makdim the peh to the ayin. They preceded already the, the peh, what they were going to say to what their eye had seen. And that's, I think, a very interesting parallel with the actual mechanism through which the body does things. It's first with the lave. It's not that the eyes suddenly, they wake up in the morning and they say, I want to see something bad. The eyes don't have a, have a conscience or, or any decision-making ability. It starts with the heart. The heart already says, okay, tonight this is what we're going to do. We're going to watch this thing. Now I just got to convince the eyes. But my eyes are going to follow me because I'm the heart. My, I'm making decisions. So just like the Miraglim, they had the peh before the ayin, meaning their decision was made up before their eyes saw anything. That's how it works with our bodies. Our lave decides before the eye sees. Don't blame it on the eyes, it's the heart. The heart seduced the eyes to watch certain things, to look at certain things. And then, once the eye sees something, now it gets the lave more interested and more convinced that this is the right thing, and together they come to the body and they create churbanus, which is exactly what the Miraglam did. They created the Churban Bayes Rishon, Churban Bayesheni, all the other churbanus that took place in Jewish history was a direct result of this terrible decision that the Miraglam made, and it started with Loisasur Achrei Levavchem, their Peh, Vachrei Nechem, and their eyes, and then back to the back to the heart, and boom, that created Churban. So we have to be very careful in our life to already stop it before it starts. That's what the Torah is telling us in this parsha. Just like if somebody would have stopped the Miraglim before they went into Eretz Yisrael, if somebody would have been strong and said, the Rabbi Nishlam promised us Eretz Yisrael, it's going to be good, and we don't need any Miraglim. What do we need Miraglim for? HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us it's a good land, that we're going to succeed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Egypt, who split the Yamsa, who gave us the Mon and the Slav. You think he's going to suddenly lose power? He's suddenly not going to be powerful? He's not going to be able to, to get us into Eretz Yisrael. It's ridiculous. What do we need these Miraglim for? The Torah is telling us that, and had we stopped them, it would be a different world today. There would be no Chorban. We'd be in, our, in Yerushalayim serving the Rabbi Nishlam, the Beis HaMikdash. We would live in Utopia had it not been for the Miraglim going forth with their mission, with their terrible, Ill, ill-fated, ill-advised mission. We do that every single day. If we would be able to stop our miraglim, our eyes and our heart from leading us astray, we would be the happiest people in the world. Everything would be good in our life. We would be able to learn and to daven, to use our heart appropriately, to use our eyes appropriately, to not have bad machshavas, to not have bad thoughts, hirhurim and taivas and gaiva and all these things that, why do these things happen? Why are we miserable? We're miserable because we're looking at other people, we're jealous, and we want, our heart wants more than it has, and we're not satisfied with all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us, we keep looking for more and more. If we would stop that in its tracks and say, just stop, just stop looking and stop thinking and stop needing so much, we would be very satisfied people. But we're not satisfied, and that leads to our churban. Because our, our, our heart and our eyes are hefker and we let them look at whatever they want and let us think about whatever we want. And we think it's okay and we're it, and that leads to our personal churban. 
So the Torah is saying at the end of the Parashat Meraglim, look at what the Meraglim did, and understand that the eyes and the heart in your own body are Meraglim, like Rashi says, and stop it. And if we're able to control our heart from thinking different things that are wrong, and our, and our eyes from looking at things that are bad, then we'd be great. We'd be in, in the promised land. The reason why we're not is because we allow our heart and our eyes to constantly be miraglous the land, look at what it's not supposed to, and then that leads to a terrible ripple effect of, of destruction and personal churban and averis and, and, and terrible, terrible ramifications. How do we stop? How do we stop the uh, the eyes and the heart? So it's interesting. There is a Rambam. There is a Rambam at the end of Hilchas Yisurei Bia. The very last Rambam says that the mind, which creates all types of problems for us, the the mind engages in fantasies. The mind engages in all types of thoughts that are inappropriate, which lead, like we said, to our eyes wanting to see it, and then once our eyes see it, it really kicks up the heart into high gear. Why do we have a mind that is maharer? How do these hirhurim of averis come? So the Rambam says that these hirhurim do not come unless our mind is vacuous of Chachma. If we're Panim in Chachma, if our minds are not engaged and immersed in Chachma Satira, that's what happens. And it's true, we know this, right? When our minds are holy, when we're thinking of Taira, when we're, let's say, working on a Chabura, and our minds are like, we're, we're struggling with a Rambam and with a Rashban, we're trying to make a Machlegas Rishayinim and explain a Lumdus and or, or understand Shir, or we're, we're doing a project, we're working on Bikiyas, or uh, whatever it is that we're working on, Tyradik, and our minds are full of that, I would say it never happens that our minds could ever fantasize about things that are wrong. The times that we're, that our minds suddenly become Hefker, and our minds start leading us, us astray and deciding things that are really wrong for us, and we know that they're wrong. These bad decisions, if you ever notice, are made during times that we're not deep in learning. If we're not very busy in learning, and let's say it's the summertime, or it's Ben Azmanim, or whatever, we, we had a bad day, and it was uh, we didn't learn at all today, and our minds are not in any way engaged in learning and what whatsoever... That's when our minds are free. There's like a vacancy sign in our brain. And that vacancy sign invites the Sahara to jump into that vacuum and to wreak havoc. It gives the Sahara a free reign over our brains. And now all of a sudden we start thinking about things that we haven't thought about in a long time because we're not engaged in terror. So the obvious asay taiv of this schmooze for all of us, is to engage in learning. If we're able to engage in learning and really be deep in learning and let's say go to bed at night and not be you know, on our phones uh, looking at the news and whatever and pop-up ads and stuff like that, 
but instead we go to bed with a Musr Sefer, or we're thinking and learning, or we're Mavra Sedra, or we're whatever it is that we're doing, but we're thinking and learning, that's the first step to avoid the heart and then the eyes being spies for, for the land. We're not, we're, we're not going to be able to do that because our, 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 the spies are busy with Tyra and Kedusha. They're not going to be able to be occupied with other things. So that's the first step in avoidance of the eyes being used in a detrimental way together with the heart. But there's another yisayid, besides for learning, which is really, I think, the greatest, the greatest way to stop the Sahara. But there's another reality, even if we're not super engaged in learning, and it's this. There's a Misa that's told about a certain Hasidish Rebbe. And one of his Hasidim came to him and said, Rabbi, I'm having a very hard time with my Yitzhahara. I keep thinking about Averis, and then I keep uh, looking for, uh, for, for things that, you know, to look at, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm like completely an evid to my Tivus. I, I can't stop it. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. I keep thinking about things, and, and I keep looking at things, and then thinking about things, and wanting to do things, and sometimes I do things, and I'm not proud of them, and I'm going crazy. I'm literally going crazy. So the Rebbe says, I hear, and here's my Eitzah to you. The Eitzah that I have is that what you should do is you're going to go into the wilderness, into the freezing colds in the middle of the Ukrainian winter, it was very, very cold, go out 10 miles this way, 5 miles that way, another 3 miles that way, and you're going to come to a hut. And you're going to knock on that guy's door, on the owner's door, and you're going to go, and that's where you're going to find the Yeshua to your problems. So the Chassid said, okay, it sounds, uh, sounds like a good thing. The Rebbe said it, I'm going to listen. So he set out, and it took him a whole day to get there. Finally he gets there, it's like uh, 10 o'clock at night, it's bitter cold, his, his, his ears are freezing, and his hands are frostbitten, and his legs and his toes, he can't feel... He knocks on the door. He sees that there's a light on under the house. He says, you know, this person's home. This person's probably a big makobol, a big tzaddik. He's going to give me a real drasha, a real moshishmoz to stop the herhurim. And he's, this is going to be the, the poison pill that really enables me to go on with my life normally. So he knocks on the door and he waits a few seconds. Nobody answers. He knocks a little harder, waits a few seconds, again, nobody, he starts banging on the door, ten minutes later, he's going crazy, he needs to be inside, nobody's answering the door. Strange, he sees smoke coming out of the chimney, it seems like nice and warm inside the house, and he's screaming, let me in, let me in, let me in, nothing's happening. And he collapses in the freezing, frigid cold, on the threshold of the door, he falls asleep, almost like in a, in a coma. He falls asleep the whole night. He's just sleeping in that cold, in a fetal position. In the morning, the sun comes up, and the door opens, and this person who is Kimat dead looks up, and he sees this angelic-looking chassid, like a really chashiva old man with a flowing white beard, and and the whole nine yards, 
and he's looking down at him, and this person is lying on the threshold and looking up, and he stands up with, with the last ounce of strength he had. He says, you were in here the whole night. Didn't you hear me yelling and screaming and banging on the door? Why didn't you open up the door for me? You look like a tzaddik, but you're not acting like a tzaddik. So listen to what this tzaddik says then. He says, Rabbi Yid, you should know something. This is my house. This is my house. I let in who I want to let in, and I don't let in who I don't want to let in. That's the muscle. And the nimshal is obvious. A lot of times we think that we have to let in every stranger that comes to our door. What I mean to say is every time that everyone says that this is something that I could do, I'm allowed to do, I should do, we do it. We do it. Myself included. We're all in the same boat. We think it's okay because everybody else has a smartphone, we have a smartphone. Everybody else is watching the Super Bowl, we watch the Super Bowl. Everybody else is listening to certain types of music, we listen to certain types of music. Everybody's going to a certain place, or, or going here, going there, looking at this, looking at that. It's Hefker. It's Hefker. I have to, it's like I have to do it. It's like, I must do this. I don't have a choice. I have to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have a smartphone. I'm not going to have a cell phone. I'm not going to... Can't do that. This muscle tells us that you have to do that. Your body is your home. You do not need, you have to like sometimes press the reset button on the screen and realize that Laman Hashem, this is my life, this is my home, this is my body, this is my Eilam Haza, and it's going to lead to my Eilam Haba one way or another. And I have to take back control of my life. I have to tell, and this is what this Sadiq was trying to relate to this Chassid that was having this problem of buddy, don't blame your eyes and don't blame your heart. You don't have to let them in. They're, they're guests. What you're letting into your house, you don't need to let into your house. Imagine if I told you that somebody comes to my door and they look very dangerous, they look very creepy, they look like they're have, they have a gun, they look like they're smoking something, they're drunk, and, and, and you're letting them right into your house. Is that a normal thing to do? Of course, you're crazy if you let that in. You're crazy if you let a person that, that looks dangerous into your house. But you know, we do that every single day. Every single time we look at our, our computer screen, every time we turn on the radio, every time we watch our we look at our smartphone, every time that we, we walk on certain streets, if we go to Manhattan, we go to uh, we take a subway, every time we do that, what we're basically doing is we're opening up our home. What's our home? Our home is our brain, our home is our heart. Our home is our eyes. Our home is our neshama. We're opening all of that up. We're exposing ourselves to everything coming right into our homes. And the Torah is saying, don't do that. Don't let these strangers into your house. 
Don't allow your heart to open the door for strangers. Don't allow your eyes to see things that it shouldn't be seeing. I, but I can't, you can. They're yours. These are your, this is your body. This is your future. This is your potential. And the more that you're able to control that and say, I will not let this in, the more that you'll be firm and say, I'm not making, I'm not allowing my holy eyes to see the schmutz. I'm not allowing my holy heart to be seduced into these crazy ideas that we regret so much right after we do it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to say no. And when a person can stop it, that's the most amazing gift that a person can give themselves. You ever have that? You have like a strong type to do something and you say no. You say no sometimes in a, in a very strong way or sometimes you say no in a smart way. Like you say, listen, I'll do it, but I want to do it in a half an hour. Don't, I don't want to do it right now. Right now I'm like very passionate about it. Let me wait a little bit. That's how some of the Bali Musas say you should deal with the Yitzhahar like that because right now on a Friday morning it's very easy to discuss these things but you know, sometimes on a Matzai Shabbos at, at 2 o'clock in the morning when you were a little, you know, we're in a funny mood it's not so easy to control our Yitzhahara. So if and when that ever happens and it probably will happen instead of saying I'm not going to do it say I'll do it but give me half, in half an hour by then you'll already have a hero tshuva you'll get busy with something else you'll have fallen asleep but the next morning when you wake up and you have not done that Avera, don't you feel like a million bucks? You feel like amazing. You feel like you've triumphed. Because you have. And so there's a great payoff if we're able to say, this is my house and I let in who I want and I don't let in who I don't want. Don't let dangerous people or dangerous sights or dangerous thoughts pervade your brain. Stop it. Just say, this is my, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't let this in. We do it on our front door. We have to do it on the doors of our heart and the doors of our eyes. I'll tell you an interesting sight about vision just to make it, bring it a little bit closer to home. It's from the Maria Asad, Rabbi Yudah Asad, who says a, a very fundamental yisaid by the parsha of Light. Light and his wife escaped from Sidaim, and Akrish Baruch Hu, through the Malachim, told them, do not look back. Do not turn back and look at Sidaim. So Light, of course, didn't, and his wife did. And what happens to her? She becomes a pillar of salt. So it's a little strange. Why does she become a pillar of salt? Why salt? Become a pillar of ice cream, of, uh, of sushi. Like, why does she have to be a pillar of salt? What's the significance of salt? So the Maria Asad says the following thing, an amazing aside, this very scary aside. He says that where a person looks, that's where a person is. We think that when we're looking at something on our screen, the screen is the screen and, we're, and our eyes are our eyes. But what really makes it scary is that where we are looking, that's where we are. If we're looking at, at a Gemara, 
that means that we are in the Gemara. We're not here. We're in Bavel. We're in Bavel. We're in Eretz Yisrael. We're in Pompadisa. We're in Sura. We're, we're in holy places. When we're able to see things that we're supposed to be seeing, we're holy. Our eyes are, are, are putting us in that place. I remember when I was working on my Pirish to uh, Megillus Esther, I published a saver called Shiraz Halevi on Megillus Esther. That was like the first uh, of my volumes on Megillus that I wrote. And I spent like a, a good half a year immersed in the sugyas of Megillus Esther. And I was like in heaven. You know what I was telling you before about how when your mind is steeped in, in, in something, in Tyra, how it's, it's pure Kedusha. I was mamish in, in the world of Shushan Abira. In fact, I had dreams about being in the palace of Achashverish. That's how, that's how deep I was immersed. I was mamish in Shushan. And I was learning the Chazalan and the Medrash and the Gemaris and Megillah and then, and then plugging them back into the Pasuk and Diyukim in the words in the Pasuk with Rashi, with the Mepharshim. I was like, I was so immersed in that world that I felt, and I, and I really was on a certain level in Shushan Abira during that Kufa in history. When a person, Rahman Litzlan, is seeing things that they're not supposed to be seeing, they're in that situation. If you're looking at schmutz, you're not just looking at it and saying, "All right, it's just uh, entertainment." It's not a, you're there. Zakta Maria Saad. That's why she turned into a Nitziv Melach. They told her, "Don't look at Sadaim." You know what Sadaim was? Hap- what was happening in Sadaim? Gafris Melach. It was turning into sulfur, into salt. Sadaim was salt. She looks with her eyes at Sadaim. Guess what happens to her? She becomes salt. Where you look, that's you. You become catapulted right through your screen into that situation. You're not just, you're not not there, you're, you're there. Sort of reminds me of what Rebbe Yitzchami Barditchev used to say, that when a Yid takes three steps back in Shemayn Esra, he said this humorously, but when a Yid takes three steps back from Shemayn Esra, you, you should go over and give him a, a Shalom Aleichem. In the olden days, you could shake his hand, now you've got to give him a, an elbow uh, an elbow shake, whatever they call that. You give him Shalom Aleichem. Why? Because you know where he was? He just came back from Honolulu, and he was in Miami, and he was in Texas, and he was in Eretz Yisrael. Your mind is like all going around the world during Shemana Esrei. Where your mind is, where your eyes are, that's where you are. Where your thoughts are, that's where, that's where you are. Your thoughts are where you are. The Meraglim didn't just think, they actually went into Eretz Yisrael. When we use our eyes and our heart, we're going into that land. We're going into that territory that we're thinking about. That makes it so much more dangerous. Chazal say, Godol hervure avera yesem avera The thoughts of bad, the bad thoughts, the fantasies are worse than the avera itself. Reb Chaim Malajan in his Nefesh Achayim says that that in a sense, when a Yid is Maharer to do Averis, he's worse than Titus. Titus, who took a Zaina into the Kaidish HaKadoshim 
and was mezana with their mamish lufnayvul lufnim on top of a sefer Torah. We're doing that because we're bringing the zaina, the the the. It's we think it's a it's just a fantasy, but we're bringing that into our heart, which is our kodesh akadashim, and it's worse in a certain sense than what Titus did. We're causing destruction in our own temple. And this is something that we do a lot, unfortunately, and, and we make excuses for ourselves and we permit it. But once in a while, we have to say to our eyes and our, and, and our, and our heart, let's take stock of the situation. Let's see what we're doing wrong. Let's reevaluate and understand that I don't have to do this. I don't need to do this. The things that I've permitted myself to do, they don't have to be permitted. I, was, I grew up in a time that there were no smartphones. It's possible, believe it or not, to live without a smartphone. It is. I, I know it because my parents never had a smartphone. I grew up without a smartphone. You don't have to have a smartphone. Is it convenient? Of course it's convenient. It's convenient. You get your emails on your smartphone. You get to call. You get Waze. You get uh, WhatsApp. You get great Jewish wisdom clips. You, there's a lot of, of mylas to, to a smartphone. But at the end of the day, it's a dangerous tool. It is a danger. We all know that. It's a dangerous tool. And once in a while, I have to say, but, and what am I doing on my smartphone? Maybe the things that I'm using it for are inappropriate. Maybe I could go and, and filter it, or maybe I can make gedarm for myself and not watch certain things and not go to certain websites and not have to have a constant flow of information and, and, and news. And, and with that news comes these pop-up ads or, or different things that are, that are inappropriate for our eyes and for our heart, plain and simple. I don't want to be in that world. I want to be in the world of Kedusha. And if these are tools and instruments that are taking me away, then I have to say, Rabbi Said, let's, let's have a meeting. Let's make a cheshman anafish and see, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Maybe it's time for all of us, myself included, to downgrade to downgrade when I, you know, I for a while I had a, I started with a flip phone and I've told this story many times. And then I had a um, a BlackBerry back in the day. The Blackberries was the were the iPhones of the time. The BlackBerry is 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 finished. I don't think they sell them anymore. But after I I decided at one point that I wanted to downgrade back to a flip phone. I don't know if it was the internet. I see for something was was my me to do that. And I went into the AT&T store and I told the girl behind the counter, um, you know, I want to I wanna give him my phone and get a new phone. She said, okay, fine. The iPhone 3 just came out or whatever it was and uh, you probably want to upgrade to that, right? It's, and we have a great plan. It's a dollar a year. And, you know, they, the HR is brilliant when it comes. You walk into that store, even if you're planning on getting a very simple phone, they convince you that it's stupid, that no one's going to have that type of phone and that, you know, we have a great plan and it's a free phone and a this and a that. We know that's the HR. So she, I, I said, no, 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 I, I want to downgrade. I don't want a better phone. I want a worse phone. This girl, this teenage girl, looked at me like I literally landed from the moon. She's, say that again? She, what, you want to what? Like everybody's coming in to upgrade their phone. Everybody wants the coolest with your phone. Which idiot wants to down, downgrade their phone? For the same price, you can get a cooler phone. Like, what are you doing? I, you know, you're paying more for the flip phone than... I said, I know, but I want to get a flip phone. I don't even think we sell flip phones. So I said, well, well, could you look? So she goes down to the basement of her store, 
she comes up like the Pach Shemen on Hanukkah. She found one flip phone left. She goes like this. And dust flies off this flip phone. Like there was no, it was like Mamish like sitting there since, you know, since the, the Civil War. And, and uh, she says, are you sure you want to downgrade from a Blackberry to a flip phone? I said, it's a difficult decision, but I think I want to do it. Let's do it. And she did it. She hooked me up or whatever. And she, she, you know, and for a while, for many years, I was using a flip phone. And then, you know, life happened again. And Yetzirah, blah, blah, blah. You know, you needed this. You know, you need email working on a safe. I need to be content. You know, it's all baloney. But, you know, you, you, you get once, in a, once again, the Yetzirah never lets you live. The only time the Yetzirah lets you live is once you're dead. As long as you're alive, the Yetzirah keeps on, on. But once in a while, maybe we have to think about downgrading. Downgrading our technology. And these are things that I'm not saying what I'm going to do, and I'm not telling you what you should do, but at least it's kedai to think about these things once in a while. And to make a meeting with yourself, you know, and have a, have a table, and around the table your eyes should have one seat, your heart should have another seat, your body should have another seat, your neshama should have another seat. And so I both say, let's take a vote. What are, what are we doing? What are we doing? Who are we letting into our, into our homes? Who are we letting in? Let's say your kid let in a stranger, like a crazy guy, and he's like, wouldn't you have a family meeting with your family and say, okay, let, let's, we have to go back to basics and like keep the door locked, make sure to look at the camera before you open the door, find out what the person wants, see if the person, if you know them, otherwise you don't let anybody in. Wouldn't we do that if we had a family that was, that one of the kids or one of the adults were, were putting the family at risk? We would make a meeting. We should make a meeting ourselves between me, myself, and I and put it on the table. Let's say, Rabbi said, let's make a cheshbon nefesh. What are we doing? Eyes, what do, you, what do you say? Don't you want holiness? Heart, don't you want to be immersed in Tyra? Body, do you really feel good after you do the Avera? Neshama, what do you have to say? Let's have a meeting. And if we don't ever have a meeting, then we're definitely going to sink. The boat's definitely going to sink. Because the natural, the natural way of the world is that our eyes and our heart are scouts, and they stimulate us and they seduce us into wanting what we're not supposed to have. That's their job. If they're rogue eyes and hearts without any, without any leash on them, that's what they're going to do every single time. So once in a while, we have to like ask ourselves, what are we doing? Are we in a good place? Are, is our home safe? Is our home secure? Is our eyes in a good place? Is our heart in a good place? Is, uh, you know, are we allowing too much stuff to, to permeate and to penetrate the safe confines of our space? And the Tyra is telling this is not a Dirabanan, this is not a Musr Shmuz. This is the Tyra is telling us this in this week's parasha. And we say it every day. It's not even a parasha that's like, you know, that's one of these parashas that we never visit unless it's the parasha of the week. We say it every day for crying out loud. Don't do it. Don't allow your heart, your eyes and your heart to seduce you and to be those scouts, the miraglim that are bringing korban, achar korban. And so it's something that, you know, it's an uncomfortable topic of conversation for those that 
are are deeply immersed in it. It's a it's a beautiful schmooze for people that have already graduated and already have a, a secure smartphone, a secure laptop, and a you know and and is and a, and a flip phone or, or no flip phone. It's it's a beautiful schmooze. It might be uncomfortable for some. It might be comfortable for others, and that's okay. But it's an important reminder that we have to really come to terms and take stock with where, where our eyes are holding, where our body is holding, where our, where, where our heart is holding. And as we're going into the summer, it's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. People are dressed differently than in the summer than the winter. We, have to, we walk around outside and we see things. We take trains sometimes and we, and, and we, have, we don't have the structure of yeshiva. And so all of these are, are really dangerous people that are at our doorstep and we have to declare emphatically that this is my home and I let in who I want and I don't let in who I don't want.